Welcome, everybody, and thank you so much for joining TLC Presents Conversations. We are excited once again to have you join us. Uh, we think we've got an amazing person for you to listen to and learn about today. Everybody, look who's next to me. Say hello to the president and CEO of the Castellini Companies, Brian Coker. Brian, thank, thank you, you very for much for being thank here. You. Oh, thank you. Absolutely a pleasure. Hey, I'm going to tell you what, when that amazing guest gets here, I'll move over. Okay, so you it's just, not a problem. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. No, thank you so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us a little bit and uh, to share a little bit about what's going on at Castellini and, and, and a little bit more about you as a person and the industry. I, I, gotta, I have a whole litany of questions for you today. I hope you're ready. Well, let's get to it. Awesome. Let's do it, brother. Let's do it. Um, one of the things that I think is, is interesting and something I say all the time, the most consistent thing that there is in business is change. Right. And I think you would agree with me. And I think that what you right. guys have done and are doing at Castellini right now is pretty impressive. Can you share with us a little bit about what's new at Castellini today? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think uh, the, the other aspect of change being constant is the, the pace of change is constantly increasing, too. So we're, we're sure. trying to manage all of that. Um you know, it's been interesting, Todd, that, that we've been in produce for 125 years and went from brokerage to terminal markets to the first delivery type trucks and been kind of back and processing, not processing, been through it all. Um, and, and I think one of the things that separated Castellini apart as an organization is, is innovation and hopefully attention to market shifts. Um, we've seen market shift, and I'm not only talking about um you know, COVID-related shifts. Obviously, that right. was a huge event-related shift that that caused changes in the industry. But even over the course of the last several years, we've seen changes in buying habits and and potentially the wholesale role migrating a little bit. Where mm -hmm. you know, for right. a long period of time, we provided sourcing services for companies. There are a lot of people who are very sophisticated. Transparency to data. Transparency to um, supply has has helped people buy more direct, and it doesn't mean that we don't sell produce. Of course, we do. We still do, and we will from from now until the end of time. But what has been interesting is we've been able to leverage our assets in, into emerging needs. So as we saw, not only the shift to to more direct buying, so buyers buying directly from the farmer or from the mark uh, the the growing area. We also saw that there was a need for additional supply chain services. Right. Sometimes for some customers, it's transportation. Sometimes it's cross stock. Sometimes it's bring full loads up into me and, and then I can re-deliver those in, in pallet quantities to, to various organizations or, or customers. And we've got the size and scope across the, the Eastern United States that we can do that. Um, but it's even more than that. Sometimes it's helping a grower shipper uh, maximize the value of a load. Sometimes it's helping a company um, who, who may need access to labor that they don't necessarily have. And we can do that a little bit too. So I, I think our, our focus over the course of the, the last two and a half years has been, what can we do in the industry, primarily in the produce industry, but we ventured outside of that. What can we mm -hmm. do in the produce industry that helps provide solutions to either the buy side of the supply chain or the grower shipper side. And, right. and that's a big shift for us. Instead of constantly being focused on that buy side, we're now trying to focus on the buy side, but also the grower shipper side because they have some needs 
that are very difficult to meet economically that I think we have solutions for. And, and so we've been focused on that. Well, you said something I want to jump on really quick. You talked about emerging need. And I think that, um, you know, my career and the amount of time I've been playing in the, in the produce sandbox, um, I think wholesalers and, 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 and folks like you on a global scale are the unsung heroes in so many ways of our business. Um, you're, you're the first to get bitched at. You're the first to get called. You're the first to get, you know, all these different scenarios of, of stress, hassle, and reward. And right. people forget about the fact that you provide such an amazing service at whatever level, whatever level wholesaler somebody's at, you provide such an amazing level of service and detail that I don't necessarily know people realize how valuable it is. I think the retailers at times love you. And then at times they want to decide to hate you for some other reason, right? Because sure. they get into a cost perspective, whatever, yeah. price, whatever it might be. Yeah. But I think, you know, when you talk about emerging needs, I think that is such a great statement when it comes to talking about your business model, because you constantly have pivoted. You talk about being around 125 years and COVID, right? In 125 years, COVID is a big thing to us generationally right now. But in the big scope of things, it's almost like a little speed bump on the parking lot because y'all did the depression. You went through World War One. You went through World War Two. You've seen this country change an amazing amount in the course well, of your business. And, and talk about COVID. I mean, we went through Spanish flu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't even think about the Spanish flu. Well, no, unfortunately, awesome. there was there's none of those guys left around to help me get through it now. But but yeah, that's a perfect example. We've we've been through a ton in 125 years. There's no doubt. And by my simple high school math, and of course looking down at this piece of paper, that's 1896. 1896. It's awesome. I don't even have t-shirts that old anymore. I just don't have them. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. So kind of leaning into that 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 125 year thing right now. So share with me just a touch about. You know, and you touched on it earlier, but I'm going to get a little deeper with just at least this mindset. Sure. What's setting you apart now from your competition as you kind of step back from change? You're looking at this. You've been in that runway for a little while. So what's setting you apart now from your competition? Yeah, I'd like to think, Todd, what sets us apart a little bit is I don't have a predetermined. We don't have a predetermined item that we're trying to sell, sell you. What I'm really trying to do is listen to what your problems are and see mm. if I have a solution for your problems. Um, again, you know, when, when COVID was early on and the supply was choked up, we were able to do DSD deliveries to a lot of right. different places because their supply chain just couldn't get the, the product through. Um, we've been able to do repack services uh, on, on demand for, for people who need a little bit of, of help uh, on the quality side, but maybe even just to, to get the right size format for a particular customer. I, I guess the point that I'm saying is we are much more valuable as a solutions crafter and provider than we are me coming in, sitting down at your desk and say, I really want to sell you oranges. Now, right. I like to sell you oranges. But if that's not your need, um, what I really like to do is solve your problem and solve your need and, and, and challenge the meaty issue. I think the other thing that we'd like to do, and I know I've had this conversations personally with customers, if I can't do something, I'd just rather tell you. I'd just I, rather tell you. And, uh, you know, so we try to do that. I, I will also admit we're not 100% perfect in that. But, nobody uh, is. you know, I, I'd rather have big, long, trusting relationships, even if that means sometimes we've got to tell you go somewhere else because they might be better at it. 
Well, you're preaching to the choir with that. I, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. I believe in the honest, straightforward approach. If, and, and I say this all the time. If the only way for me to understand your business is that you've got to understand mine. And when you have those conversations at that level to where that connectivity lives, whether you can do something to your point or you can't do something, right? That level of conversation, that level of trust and that level of um, connection, I believe is what moves the ball down the field successfully for everybody. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we've seen over the course of the last year, Zoom made meetings happen, no mm -hmm. office visits, no office meetings, to the extent that you have a personal relationship with someone, um, I, I think it just helps because you're perpetuating that, that trustful relationship. I remember a year ago, someone asked me to do some stuff and I just said, look, we're not really equipped to do that well, but I think this person is. And ultimately they ended up uh, working with each other. And, you know, that's okay. I, I, sure. I, at the end of the day, if, if I help someone with an issue that they have, they keep coming back to me for help. And uh, if, if, if that's the case, sooner or later, I'm going to be able to help them. But even if I can't, if they get help, then I know I got a good relationship going for me. Well, you know, but being agile, you know, dealing with emerging needs, um, being a legacy-based company, those things. I mean, those are all great cornerstones right. of mindset and business. So I want to shift a little bit and, and talk specifically about you as a leader, because I'm fascinated by leaders and talking with people that like yourselves. I learned so much from the experience. I've learned stuff from our time hanging out together in yeah, the past. Sure. Um, but this obviously, what you're dealing with now, the Castellani Group, COVID the last few years has changed you as a leader. And I know when I look back at your career in the produce space, you know, you've been in the business now, I think about 16 years or so, right? You, right. but you were in the, you were in the C-suite um, at Chiquita. You, you ran their European and their Middle Eastern division. So you've got a fairly broad perspective of business and understanding it at, at a pretty high level. So now that you've pivoted your business a little bit, what's changed you as a leader? I mean, no, and really what's different about you now than let's say even a year or two ago yeah. as a leader? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there were a couple of things that you, you sort of know, and then every now and then you need to get hit in the face to remind you of, of some basics, right? So that's called having kids. That, you know, that's another one. <laughs> that's another hit in the face. Um, so, so I, a perfect example was when I, have kind of prided myself on communicating a lot. So everywhere I go, we have town halls where I talk to people about our business, where we're headed. Um, you know, in truth, I probably don't disclose some numbers. Well, I don't, I don't disclose some numbers that I, I shouldn't, but in general, I give everybody an idea of where we're headed and how we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's important. So they understand the direction of the company that they're part of something bigger uh, so I've, I've always prided myself on communicating and, and communicating a lot to the employee group as a total and to other leaders. I'm telling you, COVID just threw that in overdrive. It just hit me in the head to say, whatever you're doing, you've got to do it faster and you've got to do it more frequently. I mean, there were, was a period of time in, in March, April and May of, of um, 2020 where we were meeting with our employee group. Our, our big employee group taking time out of our day to meet every two days, every three days as, as guidance from the CDC was changing, as we learn more, um, you know, so, so reinforcing that fact that you, you can never over communicate, you can never over communicate and it takes some time and takes some investment, but right. that's, 
that's one, and and I and then I'll get to another one. Uh, the, the that's one that I look back, and if I say there there are mistakes here or there that that I would like to change, or I'd, I'd right. like, or I re- one part of that is I didn't over communicate, and so that you know that one was a good lesson to reinforce. I think the other the other thing that that we've got to keep in mind, and it reminded me again with with COVID, is decisiveness is critical. Mm-hmm. Even even if you're not a hundred percent sure that you're on the right path, you know, right. Using your best judgment, using your best information, making a decision in the best interest of your business, your employees, and your customers, you're not going to be a hundred percent wrong. But being decisive is critical. Uh, I'll give you an example. We went to facial coverings required eight weeks before anyone else. We went to paid time off for COVID system uh, symptoms. Mm-hmm. for anyone else and our employees it didn't it didn't prevent people from getting sick it didn't but i think our employees knew right away that we were attentive to this we cared about them and their safety um immediately did put up the plexiglass and temperature scanners and other things and it's just an example again that that speed and decisiveness is critical in leadership if i think back of Maybe I lost a, a customer or, or maybe I didn't win a, a customer in RFP mm-hmm. or maybe lost a great hire. And if I, I look back, I, I can trace a lot of that back to either I didn't communicate or I just didn't move fast enough. And so that's one I'm constantly working on. Be decisive, be quick, be fast. Um, and it's a balance. You know, for me personally, it's a balance because I'd like to be decisive, but I'd also like not to be reckless. Right. There, there's there's sort of a, a balance there. And um, I think COVID, again, reminded me and over the years, it, it, I'll face certain situation. It reminds me, be decisive, over communicate, even if you're wrong, fix it just as fast. You know, when you realize you're wrong, fix it just as fast and move on. I say all the time, I can't unwind the clock. I can't get back yesterday, but I can make today better and I can make tomorrow better and the next day and so on. And and so those are the big leadership lessons that that have sort of been reinforced to me over the last 18 months. Uh, now, part of me also says, hey, you idiot, you've been in business for 30 years. Why do you have to get those reinforced all the time? But look, like I said, everybody every now and then deserves an ass whooping. And, uh, you know, you, you get it. Well, you know, first of all, commendable everything that you just said. I think it shows a lot of character. It shows strength of character for one. And I, and, and that's impressive to be around. And when you have strength of character, people want to be around you because it oozes out of you. Right. So, well, and I agree hundred percent with being decided, making decisions, move the ball down the field. Don't be afraid of taking risk as a leader. Right. That's one of the big things I run into. And some of the things I do working with folks is that we get right to the edge. And then that moment of truth comes and it's like a oh, backpedal. It's like, Oh, we're so close. But it had to resonate back to your team at such a high level because there was so much uncertainty at this time. To your point, CDC was changing on a daily basis. This was good. This was bad. This was happening. You know, now the UFOs are coming. I mean, it's just a constant battle of all kinds of information, right? right? <laughs> but, but I'm sure that if I was to go walk into your warehouse and ask five random people about you in the moment, about communication, stuff like that, their answer would probably all be the same. We appreciate it what we're being told and how we're being treated. And I think that is commendable, 
right? Because you went overboard on communication as you should in situations like this, because your people are your best assets. You've got to keep yeah, them motivated for sure. 100%, and you've got to protect right. them. Right. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, Brian. I think what you said is fantastic and I commend you. Um, well, I, you know, the, the one thing to remember on that is I just have to keep constantly working on it, right? Yeah. Never, you should never stop learning and never stop working on it. I mean, it's kind of like quality and food safety. You're not finished ever no. on no. those fronts and, and you shouldn't be finished on your leadership skills. And I still screw things up and I got to look myself in the mirror and said, I screwed that up, but you know, that that's done. Let's make sure I don't screw it up the next time. Well, I think, I think to your point about leadership is that you, as a leader, you're constantly learning. You're constantly taking what you did yesterday to make you better tomorrow. And if you're not, then I think you're, then I think you become stuck as a leader. And then your organization yeah. starts to come rather than you lead your organization forward, your organization starts to catch up to you and you can't stop that. Right. right? You, right. You, you, you stifle that growth potential. And I think that that's um, really dangerous for businesses, especially ones like in our sector that are in the food sector, whatever the, the pivot, the movement, the agility, you know, all these things are throwing at you. What's going to happen. You cannot tell me what's going to happen tomorrow in the produce business. You cannot. You can right. try to put money on Vegas and try to make a guess, but you can't actually going to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And right. that's it's the crazy part about our business. So with that being said, I want to go into another lead into that, uh, into another question and talk, what are some of the most significant changes that you've seen in the wholesale business over the past two, three, four, five years? Yeah, yeah, so certainly I've seen, um, you know, there there is a natural evolution on the buy side as well. Um, some of the smaller wholesales uh, organizations have have either disappeared or or merged into to others to survive. Um, we we've certainly seen some of the food service uh, shops who who have put their own regional consolidation centers in as as a way to to try to drive efficiencies in their own supply chain, and that's changed the the wholesale role a little bit. We've seen on the buy side. Uh, I think I mentioned it before, the access to data, the access to growers, the access to market and market conditions have made them all um, better buyers and, and better, more sophisticated supply chain uh, managers. And, and I think that changed a little bit the, the role that, that we're playing. And, and I don't think it's at all, uh, you, you know, for several years, center store led with with data and category management and all of those types of things. There's a lot of that data now in, in produce. And oh, by the way, there's a lot of people in the produce supply chain who now know how to use it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's had a powerful impact on, on the, the produce supply chain and therefore the wholesaler's role in the supply chain. It doesn't mean necessarily that all of those things are bad. No. It just means you've got to pay attention and hopefully you're moving before it becomes bad for you. So, you know, and another piece of, of Castellini's legacy is innovation. Um, one of the first to have refrigerated trucks, one of the first to take the terminal market to, to the buyer instead of having the buyer come down to the terminal market, um, you know, early on in the processing and fresh cut. So that, that history of innovation. Well, one of the things that innovation, that's critical to innovation is reading the tea leaves of where the market is and trying to understand that the market is either changing or has already changed before it's too late. Right. And you know, that again, 
I think the buy side of our industry has, has changed quite a bit over the last five years. It doesn't mean that there's a role to play for wholesalers. And you mentioned wholesalers value in the product. I'd like to think of, of wholesalers as the, the oil or the grease in the produce supply chain engine. Right. We can make everything move just a little bit easier, a little bit smoother, take a little spikes out of demand. We can't provide absolute protection. Um, as you said, no one knows what's going to happen in produce tomorrow. But, but our value to some of our customers is we can provide them a little protection so that maybe, maybe we take the, the three standard deviations from the mean and we can control that. The fourth mm-hmm. one, we're all scrambling for. But th- I think those are, those are things that have changed in the industry, but it also means we can't ignore it. We can't ignore change or, you know, I'll be talking to you about what used to happen to wholesalers, right? Right, the right. World passes by and will be irrelevant and you never will be irrelevant. Well, uh, yeah, and I think speed of change, you know, and, and its impact on our business life is something that all through the supply side, everybody's had a version sure. of that to embrace. And I think you touched sure. on it beautifully about the fact that you're in a pivot-based business, right? I mean, I, you said all it earlier, time. it's about... Yeah, it's all, all about it's all about understanding the need and then trying to figure out the solution to that need. So, thinking about the speed of change, right, in business life, and I want to lean into that because I think it's a beautiful statement that you made um, and you shared with me. So, let's talk a little bit about labor at this point as yeah. as speed of change and impact on the business life because right. labor is a major major issue, um, and it's just not. In, in, it's not there, you know, with you guys in Cincy, it, it's, you know, all it's across this country right. in every right. facet of a business. So share with us a little bit about the labor effect right now, the shortages and the challenging. But and, and I'm curious, too, and I'm, I know it's a big question, but what's it going to look like downstream, too? Yeah. So, it, Todd, it's a great question. This is another one of those where if I really knew the answer, I would go to Vegas because then we we take make me, some, brother. I'm with you. We'd make some big money. Um, but but I, I think that we do have a challenge. Um, and, and the challenge is, is we're running out of labor at at the rates and the economics that the supply chain allows. And so we're mm-hmm to think of creative ways to, to address our labor situation. And I'll give you a perfect example. We have several re, repack lines. We're going to have to think about automation. And, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, I don't, I'm not talking about an automatic octopus that picks a peach and puts it in a box, right? Right. Maybe it's just pace setting conveyance systems. Maybe it's a palletizer. Maybe it's a, and that's not to eliminate jobs. That's to ensure that I can redeploy those people to other areas where where I have needs and and opportunities. So I think automation is going to be critical, the role that automation can play. Um, In fact, uh, we have an order in for a Tesla semi-truck, a tractor. Um, Now, I think we've had the order in for six years, and we may, in, in fact, get it delivered six years from now. But in any effect, we've got to test autonomous driving and it may not, I, I may not be running an autonomous truck from Cincinnati to California, but maybe I have it for the yard work or maybe I have it for short runs or maybe I have it uh, to, to stretch hours of service uh, for sure. someone. You know, I don't know, but we've got to test that and see what that means. 
So automation has got to play a, a key role. I think the other thing that has to play a key role is creating labor capacity by uh, productivity and productivity-based pay. And we've got great examples in the strawberry mm -hmm. industry, um, great examples of, of productivity and, and uh, productivity incentives. And, and I think as an industry, we're going to have to adopt some of those um, programs because that, that is a way to, to close a labor gap. I, if right. I get 10% more out of everybody, I don't need 10% more people, right? And, and so, but at the same time, I'd like them to share in that reward because I, I want them to feel good about the work that mm -hmm. they're doing and, and the opportunity that they're, that they're driving. So right. I think we are going to be fighting for the rest of our working careers on labor and, and, uh, and accessibility to labor and the interplay between automation and, and labor. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons that we have a huge investment in, in technology is we've got to help our employees who want to do a good job. I guarantee you this, Todd, I don't have anybody that's walking in our door saying, I really want to screw up something today. What's the first thing I can do terrible? They don't want it. I mean, our, we've got good people. You know, they're coming right. in and they can do right. How can we help them do right and, and make it easier for them? And, and I think those are those are things that we'll constantly work on with labor. I don't have an answer. I mean, it, it, there are some other supply side. I think the country needs a better um, answer for uh, guest workers. I, I just clearly sure. better answer for guest workers. I think the country needs to to make a, a, some type of call on um dreamers and and making that easier i think a, we need to make an answer on amnesty um and and you know at, at the same time uh, it's probably not in our long term best interest to to have borders open uncontrollable but right. someone in there and and look there's someone smarter than me has got to figure it out but we're also going to need some help legislatively to, to increase the availability of the supply on labor as well. Well, well said. Thank you for that. Sorry, couple, man. That was a long no, answer there. No, I, I you, saw you almost you almost uh, got lunch during that answer. No, I, the answer was fantastic. And I've got two follow ups to it already. Hopefully I'll remember both of them because uh, I didn't write them down. I got the Sharpie closed. Um, one of which I wanted to, to, to just come alongside you and say I absolutely agree with you when it comes down to technology. Um, you know, and, and for a company that's been around 125 years, I think you can, you're very well suited to have to make that statement and stand behind. Look, um, we don't have draft horses working anymore. We got John Deere's right. out in the field, right? right? We have autonomous vehicles that are coming, good, bad, or indifferent. I think that we have to keep looking at technology as solutions. Not all technology is great. And I think we need to push back on the stuff that's not good. Some of the stuff that we're doing and probably the stuff we don't know that we're doing is scary as hell, but it doesn't mean that we can't at least see where it takes us, right? Because technology's cured disease. Technology's got everybody vaccinated. Absolutely. The whole yeah. nine yards. And so I do agree with you hundred percent that technology needs to be embraced and technology with labor needs to be embraced. And then taking it a step further, just to, again, with your, your, your comment about guest workers in the system, we just need to make a decision. Yeah. And we just need to stop talking about every single option that's on the table and say, 
what's the best option to move our country, our supply forward? And this is one of the things that I get on my soapbox, and I say this all the time. I'm all about driving positive costs into food. And I'm not saying that if something costs $10, it should be 20 just because. I'm saying that labor is a positive cost in food that we need to recognize and we need to embrace as something that is going to promote positive change overall to our food supply. Yeah. And if we stand by the sidelines and keep waiting for something to happen, your problem and the problem of the growers in California and the growers that can't find anybody in Michigan and the guys that are struggling in Texas, they're never going to go away. They just become bigger problems that ultimately, I think, hurt us economically. Right. Right. Completely agree. Yeah. So kind of leaning back to this a little bit in COVID and what's going on um, and positive costs in food. Hey, what are you paying for a pallet today? Right. What are you paying for a truck today? Oh, my today? goodness. Everything's off the chart. So I want to touch about that a little bit. And really, the question is, is there an end in sight to this? Oh, I, I think if, if you look back at, at economic uh, trends, there, there will be an end in sight. Um, now, the question is, it, is how long is the cycle? Right. Does does wood supply reach equilibrium and plant capacity and, and supply chain capacity? Does it reach equilibrium three months from now or three years from now? Right. And, and, and so but I have no doubt that all of our various commodities, whether it's whether it's wood or petroleum based or or steel, they, they mm-hmm. will be in cycles that, that eventually reach equilibrium and then the market dynamic changes and they're balance again, either either supply exceeds demand or demand exceeds supply, and, and we'll face right. repercussions of that. Um, I think what, what is really interesting in all of that is, again, how do you work with your customers to recognize that and affect that change in, in the total supply chain? Um, I, I don't want to pay more for anything, right? None of my customers. No pay more for anything but there probably is some amount of inflation that that is economically speaking is good for for the country mm-hmm. it's good in, for supply chains um again to your point i'm not saying let's make whatever costs ten dollars twenty dollars but there probably is some percentage of that, that that is good and helpful um to perpetuate the efficiency of the supply chain right when people stop investing when people stop uh innovating uh, that's going to hurt the overall supply chain and the overall economics. So uh, it, it's, I, I, these commodities will come back and they'll come back at their time and, and they'll reach equilibrium. Oh boy. I, I think because labor is such an issue, um, I think it's going to be a while. And, and I, I'm going to see inflation that's more than probably what we'd level, what we'd layer a healthy level on. Uh, and, and we're going to have to react to that. I, I, I agree with you. Um, so I'm, I'm going to put your uh, CFO hat on for a second and get you completely oh, off the. I wasn't no, a I, very good one. Did you know that? I, hey, I'm not judging. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not judging. I don't judge. Remember, I don't judge. I just profile. Um, but I want to ask you, I want to ask you, um, as a financial guy in that background, give us a little insight to where you feel this economy is heading outside of produce, just as a general Hey, Brian, tell me what you think the economy is going to do coming down the pike. Yeah. So here's a couple of things that I'm amazed at. I'm amazed at the resiliency of the U.S. economy. I mean, we've added trillions in deficit spending, which in typically, you know, we even conservatives were were adding deficit spending, but always worried about 
the debt level and and we've just seen rapid expansion in recovery from COVID. I mean, at one point, 40 million Americans had filed for unemployment in three mm-hmm. weeks. We're now talking about a labor shortage. Right. Or later. So the, the resiliency of the American economy has been uh, stunning to me, I would say. Um, so that that's kind of one thing. Now, with that resiliency and, and you know, they talk about the economy heating up. I do think there is going to be a period of time where we will see inflation probably be more at, at, at a level that, again, I'll refer, refer more than healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also be company specific. I think if you, if you take and look at some commodities, they, they're not seeing any refl- inflation at all. But you get you get petroleum that that spikes for four days when a pipeline gets cyber attacked, we're going to, you know, JVS just got their cyber attack. We're going to get meat prices spike, strip those out, right? Those are event related anomalies. Uh, I think if we can keep an inflation rate in between two and 3%, that's probably healthy. And it also probably gives the Fed an opportunity to, to do some monetary policy that would allow some moves in the event that we see a downturn in the economy too. Right. For a little while, I, I don't think inflation is is necessarily bad. Um, if it got out of control, if it stopped spent, if it got so so dramatic that it stopped spending, then then that would be bad. But we've also seen a lot of pent demand, and as states are opening up, and travels opening up, and restaurants are opening up, the consumers are spending, and and so I think that'll fuel the economy for a while too. So. Uh, it, it's a it's a multivariable equation for sure. But right. I like I like the resiliency of the American economy. I like the fact that that we kind of went through deficit spending and big you know one trillion dollar packages, two trillion dollar packages, right. and went through these with without causing some some dramatic ill effects, at least that we know of yet. So uh, I, I'm excited about the American economy. I'm excited about what that means for, for produce as well. Um, we've got incredible tailwinds. Uh, the value of healthy eating continues mm-hmm. to increase. Um, the value of, of good for you snacking continues to, to increase. The wholesomeness of getting kids back in school and then, and then getting them uh, a good option for school meals, or even some of, of the kids in the United States who have three meals a day at school. Um, now we, we've got them back in school and we can help them with, with eating occasions. So I, I think there's a lot of things to be positive about in, in terms of uh, the produce supply chain and the economy over the course of the next couple of years. Well, I, thank you for that. Thanks for going a little bit off the reservation too, and, and, and going down that trail with me, because I, 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 I Figured this you were going to give a hell of a good answer. Don't uh, worry, I, I have my Keynesian economist book right next to me just to just to pull a that's couple. That's fine. Out. That's okay. That's okay. You know, I I was going to talk to you a little bit about what's coming in the next you know five years in in the produce business and the wholesale business a little bit, and I, I still want to get to that question a little bit. But you alluded to something I want to come back on because I think it's super important, and that is health. And people's healthy eating habits. And I think of something that COVID is, is shown and the data is showing us now is that a lot of the problems related to COVID are related to alternative health conditions that people are having. Sure. Right. COVID, COVID's not, you know, COVID's done its damage, but it's not the sole 
source of the damage, it has made something else worse. Uh, whether certainly, it be certainly those with underlying conditions have been yeah. affected disproportionately. No question. Yeah. And, and I have a friend that, that, that just had a paper published talking about the effects of COVID and vitamins and what vitamins are doing and this and that. I think it's so important that we remember that food is a drug, food is medicine. I mean, there's yeah. a reason why it's the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. They go hand in hand. They have them together, right? Food is a drug. It's very important. And I, I love the fact that you talk about promoting and driving health consciousness back. And we have such an ability on our platform, the, the industry that we're in, to get on a soapbox like nobody else can. Um, because and I say this all the time is that, you know, food, uh, produce, especially, is, you know, it's kind of a morals and values decision about what you're getting, right? You're connected to it. It's not the same thing with something maybe center store. You don't have that connectivity. You can't smell, you know, you can smell mm -hmm. that peach. You can't smell a paper towel. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really important that, you know, folks like yourself that are embracing that mindset, to me, that's almost a runway for the next five years of, of continual education, uplifting your retailers, you know, your customers, as well as your suppliers. So with that big diatribe and my soapbox, I was on there for a second. Tell me, what are you what are you excited about, you know, kind of in the next five years or concerned about specifically for the produce business? Uh, other than, you know, we've touched on labor. Is there anything else that's floating out there? You know, I, I think uh, obviously labor, uh, we've beat to death. Um, the, the other areas that that I'd like to make sure we continue working on at some point in time, uh, you know, so much of the school lunch program is federally funded and, and state government funded. And um, I think there's probably a risk that at a certain point in time, some of those budgets get tightened. And from my perspective, school lunches are an investment in people for the next 30 years. We, we've got too much data. We've got data from UCLA. We've got data from the U University of Arkansas that says when children have access to fruits and vegetables, they choose them. And if they choose fruits and vegetables and eat fruits and vegetables, they eat them in non-school occasions too. And, you know, we can get into a lot of discussions about healthy habits and exercise habits and other things. But I tell you one thing, I've never been to the doctor and he or she told me, hey, Brian, you really ought to cut back on your fruits and vegetables. No. Like what it's doing, the your heart rate, your pulse, sure. your... And so there's so much good about that. I think the other thing is when all said and done, it is a wholesome story. And mm -hmm. today, this is produced on a farm. And the you know better than I do, the large preponderance of, our, of farming in the United States is family-based farm. Now, they may be big, but, but it's still family-based. And, and we've got livelihoods that are in farming. We've got great product. You mentioned the emotional connection. You know, you can you can get all five of your senses going when when you eat right. a or an apple or any other fruit or vegetable. I don't want to discriminate. Um, you know, so uh, I, I think it, there's just so much about it. And I, I don't want to be melodramatic and call it romantic, but it's it's a great produce is just a great product, to, uh, mm -hmm. and it's a great industry to be in. And the good news is. You never have to when you're at a when you're at a dinner party. You never have to hold your head down to say I sell produce or or I work in the produce industry. I, uh, I never have. I've been proud of it. I've been doing a long yeah. time. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing it's an amazing opportunity. You know, to positively change people that you can't that, that you don't even know exist every right. day. And that's something right. that I look back at the, at the at the billions of people that I've been able to help feed. 
right? And through some small process that I've been involved with. And it's like very uplifting to think about that, that you are making a positive change in some way, somehow in their day. If they eat that apple or that peach or a carrot or a salad, whatever the case may be, some way, somehow you've affected them positively. And I find that to be inspirational for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once that something that's buzzing around and I'll kind of go back to things that are changing over the next five years too. the same thought process, you guys are a little bit of a tech center right now in the beautiful center of the country. You know, Ohio's got is, is kind of in the middle of a tech boom. I mean, you've created some enterprise zones. You've got some big, you've got some big players that are coming up in the ag tech space. You've got uh, one of the big boys app harvest is right next door, you know, to you guys in Kentucky and they're doing some big stuff. And, and so I'm curious, how are you guys dealing as a wholesaler embracing all of this new ag technology that is just popping up and specifically not so much, you know, um, data collection wise, but this ag technology around greenhouses and these different things are coming from a supply side. Yeah. You know, I think we're trying to understand everything. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, You know, I don't know that I'm ready as an officer of a corporation to say, go invest in X or invest in Y or invest in B, right? But we're trying to understand everything. And there's some unique um, capabilities and and whether it's urban farming or under grass or vertical or glass under vertical farming, all of them have some unique options. And and I think as we get unit economics in those um, areas closer to what field grown is, it becomes a bigger story. And and Mm -hmm. Or mainstream, and certainly by the time it comes mainstream, if you are just starting to explore it, then you've missed the boat. So, um, we we've taken a look at a lot of different things. We've tried to help some. Uh, again, probably more on the distribution side. Um, you know, a lot of these companies don't yet have great scale, so they need someone that can deliver a pallet here or, or two right. pallets. And we we do that really well. So we've tried to help some. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting as we get more and more consumer data that says what 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 is the real consumer market for this? Is it mm-hmm. a really tiny subset or can it be a big subset of, of the overall consumer base? And I don't think anyone knows that yet. Um, so it, there's a lot of different models out there. I'm, I'm excited about all of them. I think it's a great example of what innovation can do. Correct. Maybe you try this and, and it's not exactly the perfect model, but it spurred someone else on to, to perfect a, something. I mean, this is it, it's going to be really exciting over the course of the, the next several years. And I think what will actually happen is hopefully it'll give us a chance to, to expand available supply because consumption is expanding. Correct. Um, and that's what we'd really like to see is if there's a unique way to get something to try a microgreen or, or an adult to try a microgreen or mm-hmm. a, or a unique tomato or strawberry or whatever it is, um, I, I think overall that's good for the industry. Oh, I do too. And I think that we have to embrace technology. I think, you know, a lot of times I think the conversation becomes an and or an or. And to me, right. it, to me, it, you know, to me, it, it, it's an and not an or. And yeah. I think it's really important yeah. that that what we might, what somebody might be doing today in a small little facility in Oklahoma City might create technology that changes everybody to be better and ultimately serve consumers, but also serve the planet better. So I, I, I love the fact you guys are looking at it and pay attention to it. I think it's not going to go away. I think it's only going to keep growing. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, pick on you All for right. a second. But, okay, let's go. No, not really, not really. I'm just, I'm just teasing. But, you know, um, 
I ask, I, I try to ask some personal questions of people when we're doing this, because I think it's important that people get to know you. And you certainly have shared some insights that um, have been extremely impressive. But I, I talked to you about a, a, a quote that, you know, what, what's something, you know, a quote that you liked or something that inspired you? And, you. and you sent one back to me in our conversation I thought was so great. And I was hoping I could just read it. And maybe you would just touch on why it meant something to you, because I think sure, it's great. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and what you wrote was you seek to understand before you seek to be understood. I think it's really powerful. And it's certainly listening to you and your leadership style. I think it's just, it sums up a lot. What's it mean to you? What, you know, how does that translate for you? Well, I think a couple of things. Um, one, listening is such a credible, critical skill. Um, mm -hmm. Salesperson should be a listener. The best uh, leader should be a listener. So uh, I, I think that's a, that's a saying, that's a phrase, that's a quote that reminds me, listen first, right? Listen first. I think the other aspect of that is if you're really going to to try to solve a conflict or mm -hmm. an issue or an opportunity solve an opportunity you have to have empathy and the only way you have empathy is to understand what the other person or the other side is going through um, I will also admit to you I'm not always great at this right sometimes I just want to get the answer and I want to give you the answer um, so I'm not always great but if you have a little bit of empathy, if you can walk a mile in someone else's shoes, mm -hmm. I think it gives you a chance to understand how the opportunity may unfold and what the solution may be. Uh, I'll mention this again. I don't know anyone in the produce industry who gets up in the morning and says, I really want to screw this up. Yeah, I say that all the, the time. The customer has a problem or an issue. It isn't because they're not trying to do it right. Right. There's a disconnect somewhere. There's there's a disconnect in expectation. They're feeling one way when when you thought that they should feel that way. There, um, and so listening first, I think, is really powerful way to to uncover what the real opportunity is. And and you know another thing when when we talk about innovation and and adapting to change and being agile, man, if you're not listening to the market around you. Mm -hmm. You'll miss it. And, Correct. and you know, you're burying your head in the, stand, in the sand, the mark has passed you by and you're running like hell to catch up. Right. And so listening, empathy, I think really important to, to leadership, really important in the sales process, really important in your personal relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Again, not always the greatest. So, uh, the, but you look, you, you give it your shot and you keep on moving it forward. I can't, I can't fix yesterday. Remember? No. Well, I say it all the time. You know, listen, listen to understand. Don't listen to reply. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. So yeah. give me, give me something, you know, that you're most proud of in your career. Uh, I, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier um, when you talk about labor and you our, no, we've got a great truck fleet. We've got good distribution centers above and beyond both of those mm -hmm. are people in terms of assets. Yeah. Right. They're just it's not even close. Um, give me great people and you can overcome bad processes, bad systems, bad challenges. But if you've got great people, you can overcome that. So I think one of the things that I've been most proud of is the group of people that I've worked with over the course of the years. And there's a lot of them that I've worked with uh, that are now CEOs of big companies that are now VP of finances of big companies that are now VP of sales of big companies. And look, I, I'm telling you right now, Todd, 
it wasn't because I gave them some great advice and all of a sudden they're magical. It was not that, right? These are right. good quality people. But I'd also like to think in, in my job and my goal is to make sure, however, whatever professional you are, when we first meet, when, when we part ways in a business relationship, in a working relationship, whatever, I hope you're a better professional at the end, right? right. That, that to me is success. And I, I've got a lot of what I would call friends and what I'd call colleagues that are now running big jobs, running big global jobs. Um, and we were able to work together. And I, and I think ultimately they were better professionals for the time that we worked together. And oh, by the way, I was a better professional for the time that we worked together. So it's definitely not a one-way street, right? I need to, I need to learn as much from them as, as hopefully they're learning from me. And it, it's just a great example. And, and I'm really excited about the people in the industry that I've been able to call colleagues and friends who are, who are doing great things. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of them, I'm just blown away by, by their success and, and their leadership. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I and I, I agree with you, one hundred percent. I really do. And it's about us when you can when you have the opportunity to inspire people and those people grow and maybe they outgrow the job that you have with them, right, or, or with you, but they grow and they do something else because of that rung of the ladder you were a part of. It's hard to look back at that and not feel good. It's not. It's hard to look back at that and not feel like you contributed in some way to help them become a better person. And that's commendable. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, for a lot of them, it was a very small way here or there. And again, I I learned at least as much from them. For sure. From them as they learned from me. For sure. All right. I'm going to have some fun with you now. You ready? We're going to do a little lightning round questions. Here we go. All right. Lightning round questions. This is a little TLC trivia. All right. What TV sitcom family would you be a member of? Uh, Family Ties. Nice. Who would you be? Would you be Michael J or who would you be? I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's a little it's okay. over the top, but yeah, I'd probably be closer to that. I, mean, I like it. We didn't have enough to be the Brady Bunch, but that would probably, and, and to be frank, my first answer was going to be Gilligan's Island and I didn't, and then I realized they weren't family. Well, the other, well, you could, you could have gone, you could have gone with that one. I probably would have picked <laughs> on you a little hard. I would well, you and I are probably the only ones on this podcast that remembered Gilligan's Island. Well, and, and, it, and in black and white. And in black and white, right. <laughs> so give me, <laughs> give me one chore around the house you hate doing. And don't forget, I'll ask your wife, so don't lie. You're on. Oh, you're, you're I off. hate cooking. I hate cooking. I'm not a good cook. Um, yeah. Can I, you do toast? I like eating. Cooking's not my deal. How about toast? Can you do toast? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. I can do some things. I just don't like right. Boil water. Boil water, fry eggs. Open the refrigerator. That, that I can do. Yeah, the low hanging fruit. All right, so here's one. Call Uber Eats. <laughs> Call Uber Eats. So, so here's one. Kimchi or kombucha are just a hard pass. I'd say kimchi. I, I mean, although I like both. Nice. I mean, I'll, I'll eat just about everything. Not, nice. As long as you don't have yeah. to cook it, though. As long as I'm not cooking it. Well, yeah. cooking kimchi is an art form, so I can imagine you're not going down that slippery slope. No. What no was an, How about a nickname when you were a kid growing up? Maybe your parents called you or you're in the neighborhood. You know, I, I, it's funny. Everyone that ever I talked to just automatically talk, called me by my last name. So everyone was cooker, cooker, cooker. At one point in time, it might have got to cookie, 
for a little while, but uh, you know, it was always just Cooker. No real, no real other nicknames or anything like that. So just that junior high cookie came out in junior high, guarantee. Cookie, that. and it, that kind of stuck all the way through college. And uh, but but even professionally, I mean, I'll walk down the halls, and, and now someone will say, "Hey, Cooker," you know. It's I like, love it. Yeah, so it's great. I love it. All right, one one final question I have. Sure. Um, if you could tell folks just one thing about the Castellini company, what would you tell them? I, I think the one thing that I'd tell them is, look, we, we're not perfect, but we're going to try to, to be your answer. Mm -hmm. um, it may be a different form. If we can do it, we're going to try to be your answer. And so, the, again, it's all in that supply chain area. We're able to help. If you have an issue, we can solve it. And we've got a lot of people who have solved problems a lot of different ways. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the thing I'd like people to remember is that uh, if, if we could be your supply chain engineer, we'd work on the problems that you have. I love it. That's a great answer, brother. Thank you. Thank oh, you for taking me, the time. Man, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for, uh, for, for your insight and your words, your inspiration and, and, and uplifting everybody. Um, I truly, truly appreciate you taking the time and the 350 billion people that are watching us now galactically because of the UFO thing. Just look at the audience right. you just reached. You know, that's a good news uh, because I was worried about all these UFOs wouldn't get reception. So no, good. we're good to go. We're, we're, we're good. good. It's just bouncing. Good, it's bouncing everywhere. Everybody. Brian Coker, Castle Heat Company. I can't top this. I can't top this hour, my brother. I can't. Thank you once again for being here. I appreciate you very, very much. And open invitation. Come back. Let's do it again. Awesome. Thanks so much, Todd. Thank you, brother. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening to Brian. Um, what a great guy. What a great conversation. What a, a, a very, very unique perspective to, um, to get and to listen to. So very much appreciate you all listening. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, see the video version of this on our YouTube channel as well as uh, TLC.organic. Uh, the audio version is available on all the podcast channels, uh, Spotify, Apple, Google, you name it. We're, we're, we're hanging out where all the cool kids are. Uh, don't forget to check out our Instagram page, uh, TLC underscore Todd Versations. We're trying to put stuff up that's inspirational, inspiring, some uh, different ideas and thoughts to share. Please like us, follow us, review us, give us a thumbs up. If you want to join us, you know how to find me. Go to the website, reach out, whatever the case may be. We'd love to have you on. We'd love to uplift your brand and tell your story. Um, again, appreciate you very much for taking the time and letting us uh, intrude in your life a little bit. We hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, go inspire somebody today. Thanks. <laughs>